Uh, if you would open your Bibles to James 5, James chapter 5. Uh, you know we're studying through a series, and if you're new here, we're studying through a series in James. And uh, just to kind of let you a little bit behind the curtain, um, on Monday, uh, before the whole election uh, voting and everything started, uh, took place, I emailed the elders and the pastors, and I just said, hey guys, um, just want for you to know and want for you to pray. I'm really thinking about this week of maybe making a bit of a preacher move um, with the subject of what we're talking about today. And uh, just, it, it's been a full nine months for everybody. It's been a full nine months. And I usually, in fact, I'll say, really, I never, almost never step out of the preaching calendar for a host of reasons. Uh, one of those is, is it prevents a hobby horse preaching. Um, and also, secondly, it prevents just preaching on the societal issue of the day. And uh, yet today, just as a result of the last nine months, and I have the unique seat of being here and seeing you. And I'll just say over the months, uh, everybody's weary. I'll certainly put myself in that a reality. And I know at home, sitting on your couches in your pajamas right now, um, it just we're all weary. And with that, and, and frankly, I've just been waiting for an opportunity to kind of maybe uh, remind us that we live in a story we live in a full story, and uh, there's hope and encouragement. So I'm going to take us there today, but I do want to spend a few minutes on the text we were going to be in, and that's James 5 and verse 12. Uh, just one verse with that. Uh, so we're going to take a few on that, and then we're going to load up the bus uh, together and, and have some time to be encouraged. So chapter 5, verse 12 uh, says this from James. Uh, but above all, my brothers and my sisters... Uh, do not swear. We're not talking vulgarity swearing. I mean, don't do that. There's no need for that. But we're talking about oathing here, as we'll see here. Do not swear, uh, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes. And let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So many things we could talk about it, but I really kind of want to just try and get at it, and, and uh, what, what's verse 12 talking about? Well, verse 12 is talking about what James has been talking about throughout his whole epistle here. He's been talked oftentimes about words, about our tongue, about what we say, about our talk. It's a big deal throughout the epistle of James. He continues to go there, and he goes there again here with this subject on oathing. And he's told us so far that uh, we're to know a whole bunch of things, but, and we're to do a whole bunch of things, but implied within it is also both stated and implied this idea of how our conversation goes, what we talk about. And in it, it's not just knowing that trials are tests of faith that produce steadfastness that affect a maturity into us. It. It's talk that way. It's, it's that how, that's part of our conversation of things. Uh, we're called in James to be a, a wisdom people, and we're called to ask the Lord for wisdom. That's a talking reality. Uh, we're to be a rightly boasting people. That's a talking uh, thing. We're to be uh, a rightly quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Remember? Uh, with that text in that. And then that talks about our conversation. We're also to be talking about our exchanging and our, and our growth in Christ. We're to be putting off and we're to be replacing what we put off. Life is not just about what you need to stop doing. Oftentimes, guys in my seat can just be about what stop doing, but Scripture says we're to replace, we're to put on. 
on with that. It's about really what should we be doing in much of that. And so that includes our talking with it. And it just goes on. Even last Sunday, we're to be awaiting people, actively waiting for the coming of the Lord. And yet in that, it's a, it's a, we're to be talking that way. That's to be on our tongue, on our, in our talk, in our conversations with it. And that's just chapters one and two kind of brought into the whole idea of the tongue and our talk. And then he goes on into quarreling and fighting. That's talking. Uh, not using judging words. Or uh, When we talk about what we're going to go on with today or tomorrow, what's to take place, it's kind of like uh, assumed with the words of as the Lord wills uh, with that. And uh, then again last Sunday with waiting words. And here in James 5.12, he talks about our talk again, our oaths. I just simply say it this way. Hey, friends, God's people, our words matter, and our words are to be trustworthy. That's something not so much fully in our culture. Agreed? And yet our words are to be trustworthy words, words that in themselves, might I say, our words in themselves should be oathing words. It's not the kind of thing where we essentially have to go, no, really, I swear on my mother's grave that makes what we just said uh, taken seriously. It's not the kind of words that has to have, as God is my witness. I mean, our words should be trustworthy words with it. Let your no be no, let your yes be yes. So here's what I want to do. Uh, My five favorite commentators out of the series so far, I just want to put five quotes uh, up on the screen, and, and then uh, we'll finish our time here, and it'll kind of fill in a mini sermon here on 512. Uh, Blomberg and Kamel say, uh, Oaths can force us into behavior that does not glorify God. We should live, speak, and act with integrity in all we do. In James's context of that day, the problem appears to be rash or unrealistic vows that were often broken and thus impugning the oath-taker's character and Christian witness. And then he says uh, later, uh, societies ultimately collapse when too many people lose their verbal integrity. So Christians must remain at the forefront of those whose words can be trusted unquestionably. James Varner says, those who follow Jesus should also follow the way of wisdom that is characterized by clear and honest talk. To feel that we must add an oath to what we are saying has the effect of debasing our words. The need for oaths makes it look as though our plain statement is not enough. And then third, David Platt, the words from our mouths should be so consistent and dependable that they guarantee reliability. And then James Adams, uh, Adamson talking about uh, verse 12. The point of this command, and it's parallel parallel in Matthew 5.34, is referring back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about the importance of our oaths, is that the Christian does not need to swear, for his word is his bond. Swearing an oath is necessary only in a society where the truth is not reverenced. And then fifth, Douglas Moo. It is more likely that Jesus and Matthew is saying the same thing as James here in chapter 5. Our truthfulness should be so consistent and dependable that we need no oath to support it. A simple yes or no should suffice. Uh, Radiant Bible Church, God's people, I could sum it up this way. Uh, Hey, our words matter. Kids, younger folks, I want for you to know that your words matter. 
Words are important. And we just are to be a kind of a people that, that are, we see our words as important and even what they mean is important. Uh, our words matter. And so with that, I entrust James 5 verse 12 to you, to your consideration, to your further study, and, and to your uh, further uh, meditation. And if you will, that, my friends, was the shortest sermon you will ever hear me preach. And I think the last almost 13 years here at this church can attest to that. <laughs> and now I'd like to make a little bit of a turn, but uh, it's not a full turn. I'd like for us to load the bus, okay? Time to load the bus. For some of, those, for some of you, the uh, center screen, you may know where I'm going with this. For others of you, uh, join me here. Uh, we have a journey. Throughout the epistle of James, um, I have been able to, I'll say it this way, get to know James better. I really don't think I knew James very well. I knew who he was, I knew he wrote the book of James, but the longer I'm in James, the more I'm like, man, this dude, um, I'm so relating to him. Two ways in particular. Uh, uh, James, in his pastoring heart, which it is so there, uh, he's pastoring God's people through tough times. The letter of James is about people written to people who are going through tough times. Know this, tough times is a relative term. It's different varying degrees of what tough times are. And the point isn't, let, let's compare who's got the rougher times. That's not the point of it. James is talking to people, uh, Messianic Jews, scattered outside of their home in tough times. And their situation, while different than ours, uh, I'll just say this, the last nine months has been unusually tough times for all of us. It's been tough times. And it's not about comparing whose is more. It's just been tough times. And James is shepherding them through the time, and I'm just like so relating to that. Secondly, James is pastoring, uh, shepherding his listeners to not only to know something, but to see something. I'm just continually getting more and more of that. It's kind of the thing for me, I've always, since the very beginning, I'm doing this because I want people to see God more, and I want them to see their Bibles as more live than what is so commonly seen today. And in that, I think James is bringing this, uh, just the term that's been uh, going through my mind again and again and again over the last weeks and months of this series has been, man, it's like James just wants people to see Jesus, see the war, and see the victory. And he wants them to see Jesus and see the war that they're living in and also to know and to see the victory. I just can't tell you how much that has been over the weeks uh, been coming to mind for me. In fact, see Jesus. It's interesting because the book of James actually gets some hubbub about it historically. Like, where's the Christology in it? Like, where's James talking about Jesus in it? And in many ways, they're, they're right. Luther had a big pushback about the epistle of James because it's like, where's the Christology in it? Here's two of the answers I would have. One of them is look at verse 1, chapter 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out with a high view of Jesus, by the way, which was his half-brother. And in that, he already has a high view of Jesus, but also he's writing to people in tough times, and James is just wired really practically in it. And also, I'll just note that James, you just, we haven't talked about it, James is so grounded in the Sermon on the Mount. As you hear James talking about all the things that he's been talking about, you can go back to chapters 
5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And you can see Jesus talking all these things. It's like you hear the Sermon on the Mount in the epistle of James. And so I think James totally sees Jesus. There is this subtle, strong within him and call out for people, see Jesus, friends, see Jesus in it. Uh, Secondly, see the war. I think this is more clear in the epistle for sure. I mean, James knows that God's people are going through some tough times uh, with what's happening in their lives. He understands life is a war. It's a battleground. Uh, We see it in his conversations about uh, trials, our tests of faith. We see it in his conversation about there's a war for wisdom. Are you going to go with the world's war or the the world's wisdom or with God's wisdom? We see it talking about just fighting and quarreling. There's a war there. There's a war against partiality uh, with it. There's a war of the tongue. There's even a war in our actively waiting last Sunday for the coming of the Lord with that. James clearly sees the war and talks about it as life is. See Jesus, see the war, and then see the victory. Throughout the epistle, uh, James has what would be called theologically an eschatology conversation. He uses the words, chapter one, he uses the, the words of the coming crown of life. There's a future thing that's coming. You need to know that. And again, they're going through tough times. They're going through times of suffering. And you need to know what's in the future. And there's a coming crown of life, God's people. There's a coming crown of life with that. And he also talks about life is a mist. And he mentions the last days. He's talked about establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then even last Sunday, he makes mention that the judge is at the doorstep. It's like one foot almost out and the other foot in and so forth with it. There's a lot of stated and subtle eschatology in James. See the victory with things. And just throughout this series, these three statements of see Jesus, see the war have just been in my office, hitting me again and again and again. And I'm kind of a slow guy. And it finally hit me last week. I know where those come from. The sermon series I preached five years ago. I actually remember something from what I preached. 2005, we as a church walked through the book of Revelation, and we organized it by see Jesus, see the war, see the victory. And by the way, as we're going to see here, John is writing all of this so that the 12 churches in chapters 2 and 3 would be encouraged and would be grounded in their own suffering with what's going on. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to take these coming minutes and I just want for us to see and I want for us to be encouraged. Uh, Today is, friends, in all the drama over the last nine months, um, let's see something here and let's leave encouraged today. Okay? So here we go. See Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Revelation. Uh, and actually begin uh, looking at Revelation chapter 4. See Jesus. The, uh, the whole book, the whole epistle I might call it, because it's really a letter to seven churches, um, it, it's a seeing book. It's a seeing letter. I mean, that's the case in chapter 1. We'll see in just a moment. But I want to note the seeing that John emphasizes. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He st- begins that chapter by saying, After this I looked. 
Look over chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw, chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched, chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw. Look at chapter 8, verse 2. Then I saw. Uh, Take a look at chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw, chapter um, uh, 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared Chapter 13, verse 1, and I saw. Chapter 14, verse 1, then I looked. Chapter 15, verse 1, then I saw. Got the gist? The whole book is John writing down what I've seen. And the point of him writing down what he's seeing is that the people who are reading it would see what he saw. With me? That's what John is doing. So when you read this, there's some things to see in it, and we so quickly want to go to this, all this, you know, formulation of what's the exact spell out of the end times, and I think sometimes John just sits back and goes, would you all stop that? Would you just see some things? Okay? And in this, clearly, uh, the book of Revelation is about seeing Jesus Christ. Let me prove that. Go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, much from here, I'm going to be doing some reading, and I want for us just to absorb it and just to sit in it and be encouraged by it and challenged by it. Uh, Take a look at Revelation chapter 1. See Jesus, and let me read verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of Christ. That's what the book is about. And by the way, in the terminology there, Jesus Christ is the source and the subject of the book. John's penning it down, but the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's the revealing work of Jesus Christ, and it's the revealing work about Jesus Christ. He is the source and the subject of the book. Let me keep reading. Uh, Which God, the Father, gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Man, that sounds like James. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I like that. Blessed are those who hear it. You like that. And blessed are those who keep what is written in it. Do you understand? The book of Revelation is supposed to impact, change, strengthen what we do. And James is a doer. The book is not just about timeline. The book is supposed to change how we live now. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. He's writing it to churches, to God's people in churches. Grace to you, peace from him who is and who was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all tribes of the earth are wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. By the way, he's not talking about for you uh, end times uh, folks. He's not talking about the seven years tribulation here. He's talking about the fact that he's in tribulation for the gospel of Christ. By the way, he's in hard times. A guy in hard times, writing out of his hard times to people in hard times. Hey, there's a theme there. And that James is similar to that. 
Uh, John, your your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, that's James, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice, a voice like a trumpet. It wasn't a trumpet, but it was like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice and that was, that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw. I saw what? I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Oh, that's Daniel 7. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs on his head were white like wool. I like that. Like snow. His eyes were, were not a flame of fire, but they were like a flame of fire. His feet, they were not burnished bronze, but they were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was not a roar of many waters, but it was like a roar of many waters. Verse 16, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. By the way, if you remember... John the Apostle, who's writing this and seeing this, he was with Jesus for, am I right, like three years? I would think, man, the dude would be running up and high-fiving him, giving him a hug, slapping him on the rear end like guys do after scoring a touchdown. But we don't see that. Watch what happens. I, John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is a redeemed person in Christ. This is one who had spent all the time with Christ. This is a one who saw the resurrected uh, Jesus Christ, and yet here in this, he is all of a sudden beholding something that is so magnificent. Let me say it this way. This is not the movie, Jesus. This is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. This is not hippie-sandaled preacher dude, Jesus. This is glorified, magnified, resurrected Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. This is Jesus today. Word This is Jesus today. And the incarnation was the abnormal for the second person of the Trinity. Oh, thank God. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, the second person of the Trinity stepped out of his place to become the incarnate Jesus Christ that we read about in the Gospels to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and then return back and John is blown away because it's like, whoa, you're beyond what I've seen in the movies. Friends, this is Jesus Christ today. I fell at his feet, and I love this, but he, Jesus, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. How sweet is that? I'm the first and the last, the living one, and I died, and behold, I am alive evermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Bam. Word. This is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ today. And so when you and I talk about our Savior and our Lord, friends, this is who we're talking about. In fact, just to build a little bit more on that, chapter 4. See, Jesus, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, John, and I will show you what must take place after this. Once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne of the Father. And he 
you who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald and around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 presbyteros clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head, verse five, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. Can you just imagine this? And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was in it, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And these, uh, the first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like the face of a man, the fourth like an eagle in flight. And, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 presbyteros, they fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who, who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne and say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Chapter five, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll within and, and on the back written, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven, no one on the earth, no one under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Why was John weeping loudly? Because John knew that once the seals began to be opened, the final culminating battles of redemptive history would be put in place. And if no one could open it, let me put it this way, then all of this is not going to end. Then the final victory isn't going to happen. So he's weeping, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted from this. Someone's got to open the scroll. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, John, behold the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, and he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Friends, the lion is a lamb standing and as though it had been slain. Oh, the death and resurrection with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 presbyteros fell down before the lamb who is the lion, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. By the way, which might include, which would include the prayers of the saints going, come Lord Jesus, come. And they are all saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. <clears throat> and by your blood, 
You ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth, and the choir's not over. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders of the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And the choir's not over. And I heard every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb who is the lion, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Friends, there's a whole lot of conversation about who's in control in our country right now. And I just want to encourage you by saying this. Whoever it is, this is much bigger than that. You see, we think that the story we live in is being figured out as we live in it. I mean, this time last year, who would have ever thought there would be some pandemic? And actually, American people are walking around with masks like it's normal life. I remember watching the TV and seeing people over in Tokyo or so forth wearing masks, and it's like, freaks. <laughs> Straight up with you. Like, what's with that? And now look, we joined the freak band. Whoever would have thought? Oh. I don't know who's going to be president. You know, they say it is. I bet there's all. Uh, but I know who is king. Don't lose sight of that. Yesterday I did. See Jesus. I gotta move. Revelation 6 through 18. See the war. See the war. The story of what's going on in Revelation 18 is the final culminating battles of the war. Hear me on this. It's not a new war. It's not the start of a war. It's the completion of the war. If you want to know the whole story upon which we live in, simply it's this. There was a war that began in heaven before Genesis 3 ever showed up. You see, we are told in Scripture that the angels, a host of the angels, went to war against our triune God. And there was a heavenly war that took place. And that heavenly war grew into an earthly war. And that earthly war was shown up in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan slides his slithering, slimy self and begins a war on earth. And Adam and Eve bite it, and the war takes place. And now we're in a war. And then there's battle after battle after battle after battle in the war. And friends, you need to understand we live in a war. 
It's a war zone within redemptive history. There's a heavenly war that grew into an earthly war, and that heavenly war that grew into an earthly war is going to, next point, is going to be in a culminating final battle of the wars. But right now, Revelation 6 through 18 is all about, let me say it this way, is all about the final battles of the war. Got it? And when you understand that we live in a story, a redemptive story of reality by the Godhead, we live in the war zone right now. No wonder it's hard. Now we understand why. I'm just so grateful God said, know this people, you're living in a war zone. Because that matters then how we live, right? And when we understand that, all the crazy makes sense. You can do some further reading on that uh, just with time. I need to move on just with the war. And that heavenly war that turned to an earthly war is going to one day be brought to the final battles and the war is going to end in victory. See the victory. Revelation 19 through 22. And I do want to read a few passages here. They're too good. Revelation 19 might I call it this, the true and final triumphal entry, okay? Revelation 19, verse 11, and then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one on it is called faithful and true. James 5, verse 12, you can trust his words. With me? Because if we cannot trust our God's oathing words, we cannot trust our God. And the fact that our God's words are true and real and faithful oathing words, this is true. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Man, that's James and the judges. He, he, his eyes are like a flame of fire. That, that's, that's all the way back in Revelation 1. And on his head are diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. But so many commentators want to spend so many pages trying to figure out what the name is. When the Bible says no one knows the name, we're goofballs. I mean, God even, I'm sorry, I'm off track here. God even says sometimes, no one knows the name. Oh, but we got to figure it out. I think it's funny. His eyes are like flames of fire. He's clothed, verse 13, in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called the word of God and the armies of the heaven arraigned in fine linen, white, pure, were following him on white horses. Just can you see it? And from his mouth come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron rod and he will tread the winepress of the wrath, the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, he's got this. He's got pandemic, he's got it. He's got to figure it out. Social issues, got to figure it out. Who's in charge, got to figure it out. And then the final victory, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with redeemed man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, thank God. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, thank God. For the former things, which are our present things, have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jump over to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, who is the Lion. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine up, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, who is the Lion. And by its light will nations walk, and kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut uh, by day, and they will be there will be no night there, and they will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, both, uh, but nothing unclean ever enter it, nor anything who does any, what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And you can read on. 22 verse 3, no longer will there be thing, anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him and they will see his face. And their names will be tattooed all over their foreheads. Tattooed is my word. I don't have a tat. I'm getting one there. And night will be more, no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun. The Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. Hey, friends, um, in high school, I used to run track and I did 300-meter hurt, low hurdles and 400. And I remember both of those. They, they have this thing where you come around the fourth turn and the 400, third turn, second turn and the 300. And it's that last run. It's that last straightaway, that 100 yards-ish straightaway to the finish line. And man, you come around that corner and whatever position you're in, you're coming and you're just wondering, am I going to make it or am I going to die? And like, am I going to just seize up and it ends up being like, <laughs> in slow motion down that last run of line, but you see the finish line and you see the podium. And in the hurt and in the pain and in the why am I doing this? You see it. And it keeps you going. God's people, those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're on the last run. See the finish line. See the podium. See Jesus. See the war. See the victory. Lord, thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. And God, here we are in our small little minds trying to understand what in the world is going on. What's happening around us? 
Lord, we can't even tell what's going on with an election. We, we can't tell what numbers are doing ultimately with a pandemic. We, we don't know whether we're going to have cities uh, charged and attacked or where everything's going to calm down. It just reveals the smallness of what we have in our hands before us. But Lord, you've got it. And even in our times of not wondering what's going on in these last nine months, You've never had a moment where you're figuring it out, where you're twiddling your thumbs, wondering what to do, and nervous about what to do. You've got it. And God, I thank you that your words are trustworthy. And we can bank on them, and count on them, and hope in them, and secure ourselves in them. And so God, as, as we sing this final song, the same song we sang last Sunday, it just fits so well. I just pray we would revel in it. I pray that we would just sing it with strength and with joy and with hope. Come, Lord Jesus, come. For God, anyone in this room who maybe is at a place to where it's like, man, you guys are kind of serious about this stuff, aren't you? Yeah, we are. God, I would just pray maybe there's someone in this room to where they're like, they don't know that they know that they know what is going to take place for them in their future relating to everything we've read about here. How can someone know that they are going to be secured? Well, because you've told us how. And you're the one who stepped in and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Lord, I would pray that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts, that would, that would just encourage them and yet convict them. And God, I pray they would get with someone that we would know for sure. That when we talk about this, what's ahead, we talk about it not with wondering if I'm going to be there, but rejoicing in the fact of going to be there. You are awesome. You are really, really awesome. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.